Welcome to the Smart Tech Check Podcast, hosted by Mark Vina, your home for candid, insightful, and provocative conversations about the smart home, home automation, security, smartphones, PC and console gaming, and much more. Hello, everyone. My name is Mark Vina, and welcome to today's Smart Tech Check Podcast. Today is Wednesday, October 6, 2021. Tough day for the Yankees last night. I'm a bit disappointed. Uh, that's probably another podcast, but I will survive. Uh, lots of interesting tech news to chat about today. So without any further ado, let's get into it. Big week for actually uh, some really interesting news items. So let me uh, bring up my usual podcast, Partners in Crime, uh, John Quain, who writes for technology on the New York Times and Tom's Guide uh, periodicals, Stuart Walpin, who writes for Twice and Techlicious, and Rob Pecorero, who writes for USA Today, Fast Company, and Wirecutter, Gentlemen, good afternoon, and welcome to the podcast. How are each of you? I don't think John watched, but I know. <laughs> I watched it, yes. I'm a bit of a Red Sox fan. Plus, it was nice to see our old Nats friend, Kyle Schwarber, hit one out in, like, the third inning. Decent time. I don't know if Boston's going to go much further than this, but fun game to watch from my perspective. Yeah. <laughs> I, I can't even talk about it. You know, I was, I was talking Sorry. before we began the recording, is that, you know, when they the Yankees lose, I just go into depression for – three or four days. And, you know, I'll, I'll recover probably in December when Christmas uh, rolls around. Uh, lots of interesting things going on. Let me bring up our, um, our topics that I want to chat about. And right off the bat, you know, got to talk about this one. You know, Facebook was, has been in the news really for a couple of big reasons. They had a, a former product manager testify on the Hill. Uh, of course, on, on Monday, they had a big outage. You wonder if there was a, a conspiracy. <laughs> And I'm not saying there was because they've come up with all types of technical explanations. But I uh, want to get your reaction to the, uh, first of all, the testimony uh, piece of the product, uh, former product manager, Francis Haugen. Uh, but the three topics I want to address, and we'll start with you, Stuart. You know, given what she said and a lot of what she really testified to is not brand new information. I mean, she's kind of repeating lots and lots of themes, maybe with some more specificity about things. But Based on what you heard um, uh, over the last day or so, is it too late to reform Facebook? Stuart? It, it can't be too late. I don't think it's a matter of is it. I think it. Facebook and social media is such a weird animal. Um, it's not vegetable. It's not mineral in terms of publishing or television, broadcasting. Um, it's such a weird hybrid of this of user-created content, third-party content. And the thing that makes it the weirdest of all of the media types that the U.S. Constitution is, dealt, is meant to deal with are these algorithms. And I think, I think she pointed out, and a lot of other people have pointed out, that it's the algorithms that I think are the major problem. If you allow people to spew, you can control it. But once you set up this automated system that favors certain content that is going to be, at its heart, divisive, then you've, then you've killed the whole, you've killed any sense of control over it. It's sort of like any sci-fi movie where it's something sentient like Skynet suddenly takes over. And I think that's a situation that we're approaching here. It's not that, that Facebook's AI or any social media's AI or algorithms is sentient necessarily, but it's doing what it's designed to do, which is to optimize um, engagement to increase profit. And what a shock 
that's what they all want to do. John, your reaction. Well, I think, you know, they've, they've pretty much had a free ride. Right. And, and I don't think there's any question that they're a media company. I don't think that's, you know, at media companies, at magazines and the newspapers, you use third party content too. It's nothing, there's nothing special about it. There's nothing unusual about it. So they should be under exactly the same regulations. And that would stop if they got fined every time some of this material got out there, that would, they would very lickety split figure out a way to take right. it. When's the last time the U.S. government fined any publisher for publishing anything? I believe the answer would be never because yeah. of the Constitution, the First Amendment says you cannot do that. I've been at radio stations, Rob, that have been fined many times. FCC obscenity rules are different. Those are the public airwaves. But uh, there, no, there was an equal carrier before Reagan, too, and stuff. So there, there's... Fairness doctrine. <laughs> you can do whatever... This idea that there's like there's this idea that some private company has to publish whatever stuff they want for free speech just isn't isn't a valid argument. They can they prevent stuff all the time. They literally have hundreds and hundreds of people sitting there looking at images all the time at Facebook. So they do you know, they do block a lot of material. Uh, you know, they should get some credit for that. There's a lot of violent, really stuff that would give you post-traumatic stress if you saw it that people are filtering out all the time that is happening so you are censoring things or if you want to call it censoring all the time constantly um and there's no question about you know it's mostly the instagram issue it's not so much facebook because facebook is for old folks like us right instagram though clearly has a lot of this stuff online and that feeds i mean it's all about being divisive and picking on people and just making people feel awful and any parent knows that so um you're right it's not new news but yeah you can apply these laws in any way shape or form you want there's no special uh, protection for these people as far as i can tell and it quite frankly it goes beyond section 230. section 230 is like traffic laws set in 1900. i mean section 230 was written before there was any such thing as social media it was written i think seven years before even friendster appeared so it's not a matter of oh let's cancel section 230. i think i i agree with john that it that Facebook and all these social media sites have to decide whether, like I said, they're vegetable or mineral. Are they publications or are they simply the bulletin board in a supermarket writ large? And it's up to the government to figure out exactly how to classify these people and for these backward, you know, legislature, uh, legislators on the Hill to have a very deep understanding or a deep enough understanding to understand the consequences of any regulations that they put out. And given how long it takes legislation to get passed around here it's going to be years before any of this happens so i'm, I'm not quite sure what the answer is well i mean and you, we guys we've talked about this before i mean what i struggle with is you know to john's point you know facebook has tried to um suppress you know what they consider hate you know hate content or or content that's objectionable but and again, you know, not to be Thomas Jefferson or, or uh, James Monroe, but because I'm not, uh, I'm not one of the not one of the founding fathers. But the issue is, is that who defines what hate uh, hate speech is or hate content is? It's beauty in the beauty is in the eye of the beholder, and there have been examples of, of Facebook suppressing content that turned out to be accurate. I mean, I won't get into a, a protracted discussion about that, but they have been wrong on, on, on many occasions, and uh, so I struggle with that. But the, the question I have for, I want to get Rob's reaction, and then we'll go back to the Section 230 topic. 
Do Francis Francis Haugen's re, uh, revelation surprise you in any way? I mean, in terms of, uh, I mean, did she say anything to you? Uh, anything that? Wow, I'm surprised that Fran that Facebook is focused on the almighty dollar. And they're, not, and not they, really, no, because on the one hand, her basic message that this company, that they are engagement uber alles, which is true. If you've been on Facebook for more than like two hours, you can <laughs> see that they're always trying to push a button to get you to do one thing or another. I remember a year ago, they were trying some creepy thing where it was literally in the middle of a comment thread between my mom and my brother. There was some Facebook suggestion, try this group. Like Facebook, butt out, get out of here. Right, um, right. And right. so that part was not news. Uh, you know, she had more receipts, but they had also been published at length in the Wall Street Journal for the preceding weeks. Um, I think it was interesting she mentioned that Facebook's automated content moderation is so far behind. It will plow into other markets overseas where it doesn't have support for the languages. So I hope there's isn't my phone ringing, but whatever. No, it's a coffee truck somewhere. That's what it sounds like. Yeah. <laughs> So much of this conversation is, is, you know, Facebook warps the entire space-time continuum in this part of tech policy because it has a membership of more than 2 billion people, larger than any religion, bigger than any country. And it's really difficult to write a law that would apply to that and to any company that might, that might compete with it, much less any smaller firm. And you get into basic obstacles of how we have set out the laws in the U.S. We mentioned, you know, should they be able to get away with publishing anything? The converse of that is, should the government force them to publish anything? And the answer has got to be no, if the First Amendment has any meaning. You can't make somebody use their own resources to carry somebody else's speech. That's not how this works. Uh, I think a lot of there are things Facebook could do to help its cause, to help its users, to help the discourse. Uh, a while ago, Jack Dorsey, Twitter CEO, he said before Congress, we're going to give people the ability to put in filters of their choice. So the timeline is shaped by principles according to what they like, I mean, which is already how Facebook works. We talk about filter bubbles. Mm -hmm. Make that more explicit. Publish more research. If you have damaging stuff, put it out there. Don't try to front run the journal by dropping two, two studies, right, as they're publishing the results of four others. Uh, the, their PR strategy is so oafish and clumsy and stupid. You know, this is like the opposite of the Tylenol's response to poison medications, which is now something they teach in business schools as this is crisis communications done wrong. Facebook, <laughs> they need professional help. We all do, but they really are just not helping right now. I think there's a key, I think there's a key legislative issue that I think is at the heart of all of this or will be at the heart of all of this. And I think that is whether or not algorithms is considered speech or not. Because while the government can't say to Facebook, you can't let people say this, you can't let people say that, can the government say no algorithms? And will and will the social media company say algorithms is free speech? I don't know the answer to that. I personally, I would not think that an equation is free speech. But again, I think this is something that the Supreme Court is going to ultimately have to deal with to determine whether or not algorithms is considered speech. But in the end, what difference does it make? You could have Facebook. A lot of some of Facebook's more troublesome decisions have come about from people overriding the algorithms by saying that you know, oh. It, this technically is a strike against the rules for coordinated and authentic behavior, but 
Uh, it's Ben Shapiro on the Daily Wire, so we'll just let that slide. Um, you know, some of it is Facebook is just too big for its own good. Although at the same time, I think if, if they had never bought Instagram, which would at least have competition, I don't know that, it, that an independent Insta wouldn't also be doing all this growth hacking stuff to foster engagement, to get people to spend more time clicking on pictures. They might do more of it to try to compete with Facebook. This is why I am not in Congress. Let me just drill this back a little bit. I mean, what was to me interesting about what she, what she testified to yesterday was that, and she made the comparison to um, uh, the cigarette tobacco companies, is that Facebook has been aware that they've done tons and tons and tons of research that, you know, uh, apps like Instagram are harmful to women and uh, and in a very very dramatic fashion yet they've they've done nothing about it and they and they they know they can correct it there are things they can do to at least you know throttle that that liability um not liability uh, issue but the, the the severity of the of the impact just of be kind to the user i mean really? that. Yeah. so i mean that, that's the thing i think that's a bit disappointing is that you know, like, because for years and years and years, the tobacco companies had research before the federal government got involved with it, knowing that, that cigarette smoking was cancerous, it caused cancer. And they, and it took the federal government to get involved to pretty much force that, you know, the, the, to force the um, the regulation of that business in a much more controlled fashion, which not today. And, and smoking has, has declined dramatically over the last uh, 50 right. years. Right. I mean, I can't believe I'm going to say this to be fair to Facebook, but I mean, <laughs> cigarettes really do kill people. They helped kill my dad. Uh, and Instagram does not actually directly cause cancer, even if it could sometimes feel like social media is a cancer. Well, there are well, nice. people in Miramar, Miramar and a lot of other countries yes. disagree with that. Yeah. And there's a yeah, lot of that goes back to the Facebook so. Here's a new country. Let's let's set up a market here, even though we don't speak the language. It'll all probably work out. Right. But uh, well, yeah, before we hit the other topics, let me give John the last word in, ter in terms of the second bullet. What, what's interesting about this is that Facebook is probably the only topic um, uh, on the federal agenda that has bipartisan support that something has to be done. I mean, now for different reasons, the Democrats right. and Republicans have are approaching this in two different ways. But do you think anything will be done? I think that's the question. Can they? Can the two parties unite and agree on what has to be done? And I'll, I'll let uh, John have the uh, closing uh, comment on that. Well, you know, I think they can agree on on things that need to be done. And you know, what's the strangest thing is that you have this guy, Mark Zuckerberg, saying, "Stop me before I I harm people again." Right? <laughs> some regulations. Um, that that has to be one of the oddest, you know, approaches to this uh, problem. I think there will be some kind of regulations. I don't know how thoroughgoing they are, but one thing that I actually running about for somebody else is it has it is having this halo effect and a negative halo effect, like maybe a concussion effect, where all these tech companies are now going to be looked at much more closely. The FTC and the D Department of Justice are now looking at cases they've never looked at before in terms of mergers and acquisitions. The private equity people are all going to be under scrutiny anytime you want to acquire any little startup and stuff. They're going to be looking at that much more closely now. And they've said they will. And they've basically taken all the time limits off of those processes. So you're going to see a lot more scrutiny you know, without any regulation. That's just enforcing the regulations that are already there. 
um, and the documentation requirements, everything is going to go up. Third party subpoenas and, and uh, stuff is just it's going to you're going to see some big changes. Well, I'm, I'm not holding my breath, even. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm sure we're going to be talking about this at least uh, two or three weeks from now with, with yet another uh, kind right. of deep dive into what the what the what the latest of Facebook face going to be. But let's hit the next topic. And that is. You know, uh, Stuart, I'm going to let you <laughs> this one up because this one has got to be, this has got to be a joy for you to comment on. You know, Amazon, uh, I think it was last week, you know, announced their new Astro Home Robot. I mean, there have been home robots from, you know, lower end startup companies that kind of, you know, roll around in your house and do all kinds of different things. But this is good old Amazon, which um, there's obviously a business motivation. There's a business model uh, element to this, don't you think? Well, uh, as Woody Allen and Woody Allen says, does it leave little batteries around the house? <laughs> I mean, it's a rolling iPad. It's I, I, the funny thing about all of these quote unquote home robots is they don't do anything. They, you know, I mean, all they're doing is saving you from going up to an item or taking it out of your pocket. It rolls to you. Quite frankly, the um, I don't remember the name of the uh, the the drone um, security camera that they're about to sell. That to me is it, it has a lot more functionality than Astro does. It's got a a periscope so we can see above, you know, three feet high. I I just don't understand a to pay a thousand dollars for a rolling ipad um all i kept doing was flashing back to the first isaac asimov i robot stories which was robbie robbie was a very you know a humanoid robot didn't speak thank goodness but was essentially a babysitter and <laughs> that at least was of some use it entertained the child i this i it's it saves the child from getting up, going to the counter, and getting their tablet. The tablet will now come to you for a thousand dollars. I the whole thing just so, really confused. So it's fair to say that uh, uh, Stuart has not placed an order yet for his. Uh, <laughs> uh, uh, Rob, have you ordered one? Uh, I have not. I mean, clearly, since you mentioned Asimov, I, I want to know: is this thing programmed above all else to not cause harm to a human, or through an action allow harm to? Befall a human. If you don't comply with that, then I'm out. Uh, not not yeah. if there's Instagram on it. If there's Instagram <laughs> on it, forget it. <laughs> yeah, like I don't. Amazon is sort of Facebook esque in a way, and that they, they don't don't seem to recognize that maybe they don't need to solve every problem that might be solvable with technology. So Facebook will be like, yeah, the world needs our cryptocurrency. No, it doesn't. <laughs> and Amazon is deciding, yeah, we all want a room full of Amazon robots. Uh, you know, the, the echo we have in our kitchen seems quite enough to me, but I'm just a, I guess I'm just a simple man at heart. <laughs> so Rob has been run over and I, ha I have a feeling that John hasn't been won over yet either, but John. Or run over. A <laughs> run over. Yeah. I, I, I had uh, the Temi robot uh, oh, yeah. like a year ago. So I lived with that for a couple of weeks and, and uh it was much more limited in what it could do. Um, and it, you know, but it, it was okay, but it wasn't that exciting. I have to say there are a couple of features 
you're going to hate me for this, but that, that doing the video calls with people now that we do all the time, um, I, I actually do cook and do other things while I'm on a call. And I find myself picking up Is the that why we can't see your hands and going somewhere else and like having to prop it up somewhere and then it falls off the counter. And it actually would be kind of convenient to have something like that, that just tracked me and followed me. Like, you know, I'm going, as long as it has, it does have no go zones, like no bathroom, no bedroom, you know, but everything else would be okay. But it's a thousand dollars. That's a lot for this, I think. Yeah, doesn't the Facebook, doesn't the Facebook um, video camera thing, Facebook portal, also does that 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 person tracking? Yeah. yeah, but I'm going from room to room. I mean, I'm not going all over. Yeah, the, the camera, the yeah. stage so, so whatever I, effect I, on iPads. Well, for real estate agents. Yeah, I, I'd like to go back to what Stuart just said. You know, putting aside the the, the, the creepy sci-fi references you're making to robots <laughs> on Isaac Asimov novels a hundred years ago, well, maybe not a hundred years ago, but here, here's the issue: Do the, 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 does the product have a value proposition? Does it do something that enhanced your life in some way? And I would argue that a, a robot inside your home that could go that with sensors, of course, microphones that could detect a window breaking or some type of break in that could, you know, again, the problem with a, a fixed camera in your home for security is that it's a fixed home camera. It can't move. Most cameras can, I mean, the cameras can may have a wild, wild, uh, wide field, uh, field of view, but they can obviously move a, a mobile robot, especially if you're on vacation and you have a big home and it could scan, you know, it could, you know, monitor the, these, the, uh, the, the interior of the home that might have some value. And it also might have some value for, um, you know, for uh, the aging in place community where someone screams for help. Yeah. So I would, I don't want to dismiss this entirely. I just don't see, you know, the, the, you know, and looking at the announcement materials at Amazon release, I didn't see anything that said, Oh, I've got to get that. That's going to change my life. It seems like, you know what it seems like. And, and I'm going to date myself a little bit. Uh, and Sony's had some success with it. Remember the Sony Ibo sure. robot dog? Yep. And that, and by the way, that has become kind of a cult, um, a cult product in Japan. And they announced a new one about two or three years ago, and they're not cheap. They're two or three thousand dollars, if I rec uh, recall. That to me was an interesting uh, robot in that in that it looked like, it kind of sort of looked like a dog. It's about, you know when you take it out of the box, it's a puppy, and it gets you know more uh, mature as it gets a bit older. But that never really became a thing, at least in the United States. Right. You know, so I don't know. I, I still think the jury is out and, and this product probably falls in the category of, well, we'll see, you know, we'll see if we can get any uh, interested parties. You know, there's some group at Lab 126 that probably got a little bit of a bonus for getting this thing out the door. What can I say? Yeah, I, I, I like the idea, though, that they were trying a bunch of different things. You know, I was disappointed in the Apple uh, developer conference. I was like, yeah, yeah, another phone, big deal. Mm -hmm. um, you know, so uh, you, you rounded the corners on the icons. Not, I wasn't excited. So I like the idea that Amazon was trying these different things. I mean, we talked about the indoor drone before. Yeah. I think that this was a super crazy idea. But now looking at it again, it's like, Maybe not such a crazy idea. Maybe that's actually might be a thing. And uh, some air quality sensors in these things and stuff now, like that. Now well, in, uh, the other thing is the technologies that they're trying to put into this to make it aware, know where it is, and that sort of thing. Those are all going to be very valuable 
down the road. And even Amazon during the press event talked about this being a first generation product and that they know that there are other things that they want to do and try. So getting these baseline technologies of, of motion and, and sense of place and those sorts of things, I think are very valuable as the process moves to you know, getting Rosie the robot, you know, from, from the Jetsons or something, you know, beyond, you know, R2-D2, that something that just stands around and beeps and follows you around like a puppy dog. Right. No, it's, it's very interesting. I mean, it, all this technology, just the integration of it, I just got a, a radar detector that's also a dash cam that's also everything else into it as well, finally, from Escort, which is a, you know, those have been separate things. And you're right, Stuart, that... It's just going to try this and a year later, next feature and integrate more. So I'm, I'm, I think it's kind of cool. I mean, I can't afford one, but it's cool. <laughs> There's always that. With, well, with that, let me hit the next topic here. And this is a topic that I really just want to confine to, to, to Rob and to, um, <laughs> to John. I don't actually know. And, you know, and Stuart, you might have a 15-second point of view on this, but... The Thonos trial is only interesting to me in that does it reveal something about Silicon Valley that's what that's bigger than the trial itself. I mean, there's a lot of goofy, not goofiness. That's be, that would be polite for me the way to uh, phrase that. But there's certainly a lot of, um, you know, things coming out of this trial that is disturbing at an executive management, senior management level. Um, and um, and they were obviously misleading the public. I think that's, 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 that's pretty clear. But I guess the question I have, you know, let me I'll start with Stuart, but then I want to pivot very quickly to Rob and John. Does it tell us anything about Silicon Valley or is this, hey, this is about capitalism. Got to make a buck. We'll do anything it takes to make a buck. As long as there have been ways of making money, people will figure out a way of doing it without actually producing anything. Back in the day, we all, back in the early days of the PC, we all had to deal with something called vaporware, which were all of these companies who made all of these enormous pronouncements and predictions about how their product was going to change the world and then never appeared. Right. Um, and I think that, and it's not only confined to the high tech space, these, these kinds of, we've got this great product. There was a, a guy arrested today um, some some out of work actor who scammed six hundred and fifty million dollars in some Ponzi screen, uh, scheme about producing content for Netflix, you know. So I mean, as P.T. Barnum said eons ago, there's a sucker born every minute, and by a corollary to that, there are people who are will be suckered every minute, regardless of the industry or the product. Agreed. Agreed. Rob, your your reaction. Yeah, same. I don't see this as a Silicon Valley failing. And and I say this, I've seen so many stupid ideas get <laughs> tons of VC funding. I, I I think maybe by the time I went to TechCrunch to start for the first time, I'm like, yeah, funding rounds, that is absolutely meaningless as any kind of signal for the value of a company. Because you remember that color they went through, like, $40 million in funding and they shipped right. nothing and they got acquired by Apple? Absolutely meaningless. Right. Uh, so, yeah. S-Fuel, throw money at stupid ideas. But, hey, I'm, I'm from next door to D.C. Have you seen what the Pentagon has spent money on lately? <laughs> so, uh, you know, how, how's the F-35 going or the, the new KC-46 tanker? Um, Theranos is interesting because it's an unusual villain. You know, this at the time, I guess, 19-year-old woman who styled herself after Steve Jobs. Uh, and it was, it was supposed to do something really good, and it seemed vaguely plausible. 
Uh, and I should note, it was bold-faced names from across the U.S. You know, Jim Mattis, I, I don't think he suffered fools gladly in the Marine Corps, but he was like, word seat, sure, I'll take it. And I think eventually he admitted in court, like, I, at some point, I didn't know what to believe anymore. Was it George Shultz? Yeah. Yes, and his grandson yeah. basically turned witness, like, I can't do this. <laughs> sorry, I'm sorry, Grandpa, Grandpa, this might mess up your job, but... <laughs> Well, you know, you know what happens in, in, in these particular cases is that these high-flying companies get very prestigious um, VIPs who, who some, most, most of the time know nothing about technology, but it's prestigious to have, you know, someone like a uh, Jim Mattis on the board. And they it, had some great, gray-haired elder statesman. Yep. You know, so, John, because since you're the one who, uh, <laughs> yeah. this has been one of your big topics, and I know that you're not, I know you're not an executive for, for YouTube, so please don't. Right. No, please don't don't take that. This we're on a podcast. Right. I mean, this is different for me, but it's you know that um, you know let's break everything and ask permission, ask for forgiveness, and all these ideas out of Silicon Valley. But this is now kind of the real world. What's different about this is that people's lives actually were directly affected by this. These people were doing cancer tests. They gave people false cancer oh. test results. Right. So the public, they did almost you know, almost a million test results that they gave out to the public that were basically bogus. Uh, and that, you know, people live and die on that. If you didn't get treatment because you got a negative result, then you're not going to make it. So this is sort of part of Silicon Valley's growing up. It's fine when it's, you know, Facebook, we're talking about it like it's serious, but we could all do without Facebook. Not a problem, right? Anybody could do without Facebook. But this kind of technology is actually essential to people's lives. And so just playing this game of I throw, you know, the VC will throw 10 million here, 10 million there. And if I get one out of 10, that's all I need. So I don't actually need to know how anything works. This is actually much more important. And then it's all the bioethical issues, too. Like, how did they get around the idea that they weren't being monitored? Why wasn't there more oversight over this? And they were... Right there's a couple of loopholes in the laws about uh, laboratory equipment. And so you can test kind of test laboratory equipment without actually anybody providing any oversight for quite a while, which they did for almost forever. Right. Because if anybody looked at it, if anybody asked any questions that knew anything about the technology, they realized it couldn't possibly work. So that's what was so sort of frustrating about that. All those big names, they get duped all the time. They don't know anything about real estate. They don't know anything about blood samples and diagnostic tests and cellular assays and stuff like that. So I'm not surprised those people got fooled. But it's, you know, it, it's getting into this market where more of these companies are going to do that sort of thing, where they're going to be into biotech or they're going to. And there have been scandals in biotech, too. You know, if you think about genetic testing, and in 1999, if you go back to uh, Gelsinger and this poor teenage guy was basically killed in a test because they didn't understand what they were doing, right. basically. Um, and they didn't understand initially why it even killed him the first time. So it's, it's part of that. You've got to be a little bit more serious, a little bit more oversight in issues like that. That's why it really jumps out at me. Right. I know it's interesting to see her going in and out of the courtroom all the time and that's why some of these people were convinced because she was a good figurehead, but I don't think that's kind of the main issue for me. Well, I want to hit the last topic. We only have a few minutes left here, but the only thing I will say is that and this is not going to surprise any of you is that uh, seed money, when it comes into a company, 
there's still, you know, because these companies are not public, you know, they're getting these money when they're in, they're in a private um, structured position. Uh, the money is really not uh, is unless the the, the 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 firm that the VC firm that's providing the money has checks and balances in terms of where the cash is spent. You'd be surprised of how, you know, how how that money can easily be used on on things that, you know, what could early, you know, essentially validate that the emperor has no clothes at the very, very right. beginning. And that clearly did not happen with um, in Theron, uh, with uh, the Theranos situation. And uh, it's it's disappointing. It's disappointing, but it happens over and over again. And I suspect this will not be the last company that we see that uh, that gets involved with this type of um, activity where there is really nothing there or but whatever was there just was not ready for prime time. Right. And, and there's some interesting, you know, issues about disclosure and stuff, too, because of biotech companies, a couple of them did uh, were approached by her and did sort of look at their results and found them to be wanting. Right. That they weren't mm -hmm. reliable. The technology didn't work. But they didn't say anything. Right. They just didn't do the deal with Theranos. And right. maybe they should have been required to say something at that point to go to the FDA and say, you know what, this technology is not, you know, we tested it and this is a danger to the public. Uh, but they didn't. And yeah. there, aren't, there aren't regulations like that right now. Well, let's uh, let me hit the last topic here because I got to get this as an ex um, <laughs> guy. I mean, um, this is fascinates me in, in, in many ways because I don't you know, it's funny. I, you know, I wasn't at Dell when uh, actually I take that back. I was at Dell from 2002 to 2007. So I might have been there. I mean, mm. I mean, this was obviously a um, the 90s, though. Yeah. No, was it was it in the 90s or was this? In, was, I think oh, yeah, it was. I take no, no, I don't think well, so. Jones returned to Apple in the late 90s. Yeah. 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 I forget what the exact time frame is, but let's put that that, that aside. The the uh, issue is is that you wonder what would have happened, you know, to the Mac operating system, had you know Dell would have obviously, from a volume standpoint, they would have blown the volume out. I mean, they, 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 even though it was a licensing deal, I mean, Dell was, would not have been interested in selling high end uh, PC gear to, to um, with the kind of price premium that Apple gets for their for their hardware. So it would have been a very interesting thing to see had this really taken place, you know, from a, um, you know, with the operating system, um, would Apple have been able to um, really manage the experience in the way they can do today, you know, because the hardware and the software, so, you know, is so uh, much to tie together. But Stuart, let me get your reaction. What did this surprise you? Did this do you think the world would have been that different or is that ah, now it probably would not. <laughs> well, the, 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 the old saying is sometimes the best deals are the ones that you don't make. And mm -hmm. all that filling in my head right now, because we started off this whole conversation or the whole session with the Yankees and the Red Sox is that drunken conversation in the late forties between the owners of the Yankees and the Red Sox who almost swapped Ted Williams for Joe DiMaggio. Yeah, and right. what, what the, what would the baseball or sporting world would have been like if that deal had gone through the world is filled with these sort of the best deals i ever made were the deals i didn't make and i think history has shown us that dell was right to turn down the deal and apple was right to suggest something that perhaps jobs knew that dell would turn down or that would have only accrued to apple's advantage had they taken it and as sometimes you know things happen the way there's sometimes things happen the way they're supposed to happen Sometimes. Rob, 
Rob, you're so, yeah, I, I should note here, I actually owned a Mac clone. I bought a power computing desktop. Remember them? Trivia yeah, guys? I have one also. I wish I'd thought to dig around my office closet to see if I have any stickers or anything on manual for the sucker. Uh, it was a good machine, and it was an interesting experiment, especially at a time when Apple, they, they, they couldn't manage to ship products on time. They had huge problems with the basic logistics of being a computer vendor. Right. Um, but of course, power computing itself was not going to sell Macs by the container shipload the way a Dell would. Um, so yeah, you know, and of course nowadays, you, what when you hear the word Dell, you don't think dull beige desktop. You think that XPS twelve laptop is a really sharply designed computer. Well, that, 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 their reputation has changed dramatically. As an ex Dell employee, they make some really good looking stuff. You know? Yeah, so. Yeah, I'm, I'm not surprised that that didn't happen because, yeah, that, that's two big egos right there <laughs> between Steve Jobs and Michael Dell. Um, yeah, I, I sort of look forward to finding out more about these coulda, woulda, shoulda things that never actually happened. Because I'm sure there's a bunch of stories like this waiting to be told in corners of one company's archive or another. Oh, well, 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 had the Yankees made that trade, Ted Williams would have hit 900 home runs at Yankee Stadium. That's right. right. Uh, John, let, let me let you wrap this up, and then we'll close that. We'll close up the podcast. Sure. Well, that, those guys almost said everything about this, too. It was an interesting time. I mean, he was – this was another one of those, you know, almost bankrupt searching, casting about for money, and, and what were they going to do? Um, so there were a lot of different ideas out there. And, uh, you know, I think it's Microsoft that ended up, you know, ponying up $150 million or something. Yeah. Yes. Part of that deal was to, you know, support the browser war that was going on at the time. So there were a lot of strange ideas these guys were trying just to try to get the company through it. And no one could foresee that, you know, a few years down the road, there'd be this iPhone thing and who cares about those those computers anymore? You know, but at the time it, it was kind of desperate. And so a lot of strange ideas were being kicked around. And and uh, yeah, Michael Dell was probably more brash then. He was a lot younger and he was younger than Steve Jobs. So he, he looked up to him a little bit, I'm sure. Well, again, again, you never know how history uh, might have changed and who knows, you know, what, how the world would have um, evolved. But Dell's still a, a very formidable company in the uh, computing space. And obviously, I don't have to say anything about Apple because we know they've had a little bit of success. Uh, <laughs> Anyway, guys, listen. Uh, uh, thanks for your time. I really, um, really appreciate it, uh, John and Rob and Stuart. Thank you for taking the time to join me for today's podcast. For a viewing and listening audience, please make sure that you hit the like and subscribe button on YouTube and Apple Podcasts. And until next time, have a great week. Mm -hmm.